time, this doesn't look as attractive as it once did because you're fixing your eyes on the things of the kingdom. I'm just talking about a thousand that have a vision for their heart. They've got passion for God. They're leading intercession on their schools. They're set apart, consecrated under God. And they've got a vision and a mission for their life. Uh, I'm actually going to preach the next three weeks. I'm going to do a three-part series. Um, I'm going to talk about intercession tonight, intercessory prayer. Um, next week, I'm going to talk about devotional prayer. Um, and then the third week, I'm going to talk about uh, basically practicals and how to engage in a prayer meeting. And then in, in your personal uh, uh, prayer life, you know, I don't pretend to be uh, an expert, um, but I, I have done some things over the last, whatever, you know, nine, ten years of, I would say, really actually doing it um, that I hope would be helpful. And just the, the reason I wanted to talk about prayer uh, is not just because I came from IHOP and we pray and that's what we do. I've actually rarely preached on prayer. That's actually... It was actually funny as I was preparing these notes, I was surprised how little I had to pull from, from what I previously taught. But I want to I talk about prayer because the Lord, if you, I mean, if you don't feel it, then there's probably something wrong with you. But you, obvious, we can tell the Lord is doing something in our midst with prayer. I mean, that's pretty obvious. The 21, uh, probably the biggest corporate prayer initiative New Life Church has ever done. Um, I mean, it was packed in here daily, uh, you know, over 100 plus people at multiple meetings a day. We did 24-7 prayer uh, in here. We're continuing on with noon prayer. Um, this obviously has always been a church where, with prayer at the foundation. Um, but the Lord is doing something unique. Uh, John Egan gave a word, and I really, the, the moment he said it, I really felt that there was truth to it. And he said, the Lord is bringing the prayer ministry out from the children's table and placing it basically at the big boys' table, um, and that's. Uh, have you guys ever heard uh, Leonard Ravenhill? Does anyone know that name, Leonard Ravenhill? He's an old revivalist from the fifties and sixties. He mentored Keith Green, um, probably one of my favorite preachers. I would put him in the top five for uh, preachers I like. He, he's he's dead now. He died he died in the nineties, but he he frequently. I mean, I probably heard him say it ten times in in ten different sermons, and he said. Um, the church has, has really made prayer the Cinderella, and the Cinderella pre-meeting the, the prince, the, the Cinderella of, you know, being the beaten red, red-headed stepchild and forgotten and pushed off to the corner. And uh, it's, it's one of those things where the, the lip service of, yeah, we pray is given, but the reality of backing up of being a church or a people of prayer being individuals of prayer is normally far off, and that's, that's something that everyone knows because they know the scriptures. They know they're supposed to pray, uh, but the actual reality of backing it up um, has been lacking in the West, primarily in the West. Uh, it's really not an issue in the church in China. Uh, in the church in Africa, I grew up in Africa until I was about six years old. Um, they prayed for three hours before every service, and everyone was sweating like crazy, and it Smelled like nasty bo by the time you got in the service, um, yeah. Which was which was sweet. I really there's there's things about the African culture that I love and 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 miss, even though I was little uh, when I was over there. But anyway, in the West, it's been uh, marginalized. It's been pushed to the side. It's been relegated to the crazy old women with tambourines and anointing oil. Um, which thank God for the crazy old ladies with tambourines and anointing oil because. I think our prayer ministries would have died altogether. Um, 
But the Lord is doing something unique uh, here at New Life. Um, I can feel it. Uh, I can feel it among the leadership. I can feel it among the people attending. I can feel it in the prayer meetings. I mean, I have felt the Lord's presence every day during noon prayer, uh, every single day. And it's been a, just a refreshing time. And so I really want to just take the next couple of weeks and dive in and, and talk about prayer. And, and, and uh, you know, the, the thing I'm hoping to see is, you know, not that you guys know everything about prayer at the end of the three weeks, but, but hopefully there'll be some key concepts and principles that'll make sense, that'll give you a foundation for you to launch forward and, 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 and start diving, you know, into the journey uh, uh, of prayer. So, um, just as I was preparing um, this sermon, that there was a Young E. Cho quote that, uh, does everyone know who Young E. Cho is? He was the, hey, there he is, he's right over there. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> Young Cho was the pastor of the largest church in the world in Seoul, uh, South Korea. Um, he, he started Prayer Mountain, uh, you know, uh, over 600,000 members uh, of his church. They, they go to church in a soccer stadium. Uh, phenomenal uh, testament of prayer and evangelism. They do the two brilliantly together. He came over to America about 15 years ago, and he went to a bunch of the uh, churches and ministries and when he left, he declared, he said, it's amazing what the church in America can do without God. And uh, it was, it's, <laughs> it's a pretty big zinger. Um, and seeing it's a, someone who has credibility like that, it's something you know, we should take seriously. And uh, um, I actually heard later someone talked to him and, and helped break it down. And, and a lot of what he was saying was based off of ministries, paradigms, and agendas that the church has come up with um, that are divorced from the place of prayer. Um, so you, you have uh, your notes. You see this little title there at the top. I got a big statement. God has chosen intercession as the primary means in which he releases his government through Jesus with his people now and forever. And so this is something that's new to some people. Uh, we're actually going to pray for eternity. Intercession and prayer does not end when we get to the other side of eternity. It's it's a foundation that the Lord ordained in his government that is something that is not going to cease. And uh, a lot of times we compartmentalize everything. Because sickness, sin, and death ceases, we assume that God changes. When in reality, God is the same. Um, he relates to us a little differently, um, you know, in this time where, where we sin. But he's the same God and the same core principles, uh, you know, those, those same things that are around his throne last and his government works the same for eternity. Uh, an intercession is God's brilliant strategy for including the saints in ruling with him in power. And uh, uh, for those of you taking notes, I hope that's most of you, uh, I, have a, I have a phrase here, and this is, this is what I'm going to unpack for most of tonight. Um, prayer or intercession draws us into intimacy with God as it protects with humility. It transforms our heart and it unifies God's people and community, all while training us to operate in his wisdom. And I'll say that again, because a lot of you probably only got half that down. It draws us into intimacy. So the first thing that, that prayer does, the foundation of it, is it draws us into intimacy with God. The very first thing it does is it forces us to talk to God. And you will not build a relationship to God, with God past the extent of which you talk to him. 
And that's uh, something that we've missed out. And, and uh, you know, I've gone through seasons of this, especially in Bible school. And this is, this is you know, why I'm giving you this warning, because you're learning so many things about God. Is I have often replaced knowledge about who God is thinking that it was knowing God when it was knowledge about him. And, uh, and obviously I'm not putting down studying the word. Uh, I, I do it every day. But studying the word divorced from talking to God is not developing relationship with him. It's learning about him. I can, uh, if, if I uh, was going to date my wife, I was going to ask her out for my first date. Uh, and I learned a ton about her through her friends, that's not the same as knowing her. Um, I'll, I'll use that, this other example. This is kind of dorky, but there's, a, there's just a number of people that watch the web stream at IHOP pretty religiously um, to kind of a creepy... Uh, uh, you know, like, I've had people email me after, and they're like, oh, man, I like your haircut. Like, it looks really good. Like, no, like, after it's set, like, really weird, weird things. And people will be like, I always feel like I know you, and, and they might know elements of how I behave, but they really don't know who I am just by watching me on the screen. And a lot of times we replace knowing facts or things about God with actually knowing Him. So I'll, I'll, say, that, I'll say that phrase that I kind of unpacked again, and that's we don't know God uh, beyond the extent of which we talk to Him. And so... The first thing, it draws us into intimacy with God. And the second thing it does, and I'll unpack this later, but it protects us with humility. I don't want to talk about that more because I'm going to hit that later. It transforms our heart. Nothing transforms our heart like prayer. And then it unifies God's people in community. Nothing unifies the body of Christ like prayer. Um, we, we always think unity in the body of Christ means agreeing on the lowest common denominator, and that is not unity. Unity, according to Scripture, is we're both running after the heart of God as hard as we can, and, and we have someone by our side to, 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 to run with us. And so nothing unifies the church uh, like prayer. And then all of that is it trains us to operate in God's power and wisdom in His kingdom. And I have two Scriptures on there. Uh, Hebrews 7 and Romans 8, you don't have to turn there, but that talks about Jesus being an intercessor, that being foundational to the kingdom of God. It says in Hebrews 7, he always lives to make intercession. Um, and then Romans 8, 34, Christ at the right hand of God who makes intercession for us. And this was post-cross. This was not speaking of, he, he made intercession with one moment in history, what he did on the cross. He's ever living to make intercession. Okay, to unite with Jesus in intercession, we must first embrace both the mystery and the majesty of intercession. So you got blanks down there. I just told you them. That's where you fill them in. I don't normally do fill in the blanks. I'm having fun with that. So we must first embrace both the mystery and the majesty of intercession. So the first one, uh, Roman numeral I, or one, the mystery of intercession. And that simply put, intercessory prayer is telling God, or, or it's God telling us to tell him what he already knows. I'll say that again. Intercession at its core, intercessory prayer, is God telling us 
to tell him what he already knows. It's profoundly simple. Uh, that, and that's the mystery in prayer, is in the weakness and simplicity. It's so simple that anyone can do it, but it's so simple that almost no one does it. We assume that the deep things of God are, and, and, and the governmental principles of God are reserved for, you know, Reinhard Bonnke or reserved for, you know, Jeremy Camp. I don't know why I just put those two in the same sentence. God bless Jeremy Camp. Uh, we assume that the great things of God are for the most gifted, the smartest, the most talented, the ones who are the most righteous, when in reality, the, the greatest uh, in the kingdom as far as the government of Christ uh, is, is something that is so simple that a little child can do it. But because of the simplicity that is so offensive to our minds that almost no one does it because we don't actually believe the power in it, because if it's so simple that anyone can do it, why would he set it up that way? Um, go ahead and turn to 1 Corinthians twelve nine. Big shout out to my boy Cameron for letting me his Bible. Thanks, dude. That is not the scripture I'm wanting. Well, that's a good one. What's up? Yeah, it's right after that. Uh, It's actually not in Corinthians. Does anyone know uh, my strength is made perfect in weakness? When the, the... Thank you. 2 Corinthians 12, 9. (laughs) <laughs> zing mama Sweet. Thank you. Okay, so here's, uh, here's the deal. You guys know this story. Paul has a thorn in, in the flesh, a messenger of Satan sent to buffet him. Uh, we don't know what that is. We don't know. Some people think that uh, was Paul's pride. Uh, some scholars think that that was, uh, he, had, he had a uh, speech impediment. Uh, he was very humble in speech. Um, Some think that he stuttered and was not very impressive when he spoke in front of others. Uh, Some think that it's, you know, another issue or area. Either way, it was a weakness, and and, uh, Paul has spent lots of time uh, praying uh, and interceding for the Lord to remove that. And so um, the Lord speaks, and, you know, I can just imagine Paul being like, thank you for persevering. Um, you know, now is the time where, you know, I change that. Um, but it says in verse 9, He said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. And this is a, a, a foundational truth about prayer that we, why we struggle so much with prayers is, is we lose the uh, the truth that his strength is made perfect in weakness, and that strength is not made perfect in strength. Um, that is ultimately what prayer is, is weakness. When we pray, we're admitting that we can't do something. I don't have to pray to pick up these notes right here. Ta-da! I did, I did it easily. 
I didn't have to pray to flip to the Bible, although I should have, because then maybe I would have gone to 2 Corinthians the first time. We pray when we recognize that we can't do something. There's something so great and so powerful that even in our gifts, our wisdom, our strength, our might, we can't accomplish it. And at the core, prayer is admitting our weakness and our brokenness, which is the foundation of Christianity. When we, you know, pray the sinner's prayer and receive Jesus into our heart using Sunday school language, we're acknowledging that we can't get to heaven, that we have no goodness apart from him, and that he is the one who has to save us. But then somehow after that, we lose that, and we think Christianity is about what we have to, to give and our gifts and our talents and our abilities. When he never wants us to le- lose the idea that our, our weakness, what we can't do, is actually the foundation for God being able to use us. So it's not that your talents are, are, are worthless. It's not that God didn't give you gifts that he wanted you to exercise. It's that you're supposed to walk in those through the understanding that in your own, that you have no strength apart from him, that you're totally weak and dependent on him, and that's what prayer does. And that's why we've divorced prayer, because the church in America can accomplish great things without needing God. We can build great marketing programs. We can... Uh, put up really funny, charismatic preachers to entertain people. Um, We can do things to draw people in that don't require us to admit to God, we can't do something. We need you. We're weak and we're broken. And so that's the mystery of, of intercession is, why would I sit in a room and talk to an invisible God and just say the things that he is telling me to say what he already knows I'm going to say. And why does that even matter? That is such a stumbling block. And so the accusation is that it's a waste of time. It's a waste of energy. It's a waste of effort. It's a waste of talent. I, I was at IHOP for nine years. I heard that over and over again from, from people. I mean, I, I remember people telling me, so when are you actually going to do stuff for God? <laughs> like, when are you going to stop praying? And so what, so what, what they probably meant, by that was, you know, when are you going to start evangelizing? Now, the Great Commission, obviously we need to fulfill. Uh, I'm going I'm to talk about this more later. Um, but the, the foundational, the accusation of, you know, wasting your time, energy, all that comes from being divorced of prayer being the primary mode that the, that the Lord operates. And so the mystery of intercession, does, it's difficult. It's, it's, it's hard to understand because it's so simple. The next is uh, the revelation we need to understand is the majesty of intercession. The highest means of releasing God's power is intercession. Jesus, as the second person of the Trinity, operated in this principle of intercession when he created the heavens and the earth. Okay, what am I talking about? Principle of intercession. So, Genesis 1. God the Father has all these thoughts and plans and ideas about mankind. He, you know, he thought about, he was thinking about you then. He was thinking about the earth. He was thinking about the hundred billion galaxies that he created. All those things are in the, the heart and the mind of God. He's thinking about, uh, uh, you know, how the, the, the smallest animals and the, and the greatest animals and the majesty of, 
of the earth and all the, all the galaxies. He's thinking about the created order and all those things. But those were just thoughts and, and dreams in the heart of God. It actually took a member of the Godhead, which actually all throughout scriptures talks about Jesus uh, being in here, speaking the word and then the spirit, which was brooding over the waters, exercised in power and created the earth and created uh, 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 the, the, the order in which things are in the earth. And so that's the, the governmental principle of intercession. And I'll kind of back up and say it again because I see a couple of you look confused. It's the idea there's things in the heart of God that still had to be spoken and expressed and when Jesus spoke them uh, and expressed them, the Spirit brought them forth into existence. The power of God, the hand of God moved by the Spirit, and he brought things into existence. And it's the, that's the foundational principle of intercession. And that's what Jesus walked in uh, from the beginning. And that's, that's how God's government is primarily run. Um, Hebrews uh, 1.3 says, Jesus is upholding all things by the word of his power. Let's think about that for a second. He's upholding everything by the word of his power. So that means if he stops saying the word, if he stops pulling that, then everything crumbles. You know, scientists really don't actually still know how an atom stays together. They don't understand how just the simplest Uh, you know, the the form of life, how that can stay together. Jesus is upholding everything by the word of his power. His words, just like they brought the world into existence, are upholding everything into existence. It says, you know, by by his will that things exist. It's it's for his good pleasure that things exist. So his words are upholding everything. Um, Colossians 1.9. Uh, go ahead and turn there. This is speaking of Jesus again. It says, He is before all things, and in Him all things consist. Or if you have the NIV uh, version, it says, all things hold together inside of him. Again, it's the same idea of him upholding things by the word of his power. Now, I want to take a second. That sounds glorious, but I want to talk about the humility of Jesus, that it, uh, of what he's doing and what he did. Um, and creation, you know, Jesus, who's fully part of the Godhead, is still only proclaiming what is in the heart of the Father. And then Jesus, when he's on the earth, the humility to, to it says that he, he only did what he saw his Father doing. He only said what was in the heart of the Father. Even though he was fully God, he still willingly submitted, asked the Father what was his will, and then spoke it. And then when he spoke it, it gave uh, 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 permission or enabled the Spirit to fulfill what he spoke. And so Jesus, you know, a, a lot of times it's like, well, why do we have to, you know, 
why do we have to pray the things that are on the Lord's heart? Or, you know, why can't we just do our own thing? Jesus, who's fully God, still submitted to the principle of intercession of what is in the Lord's heart? What is he thinking and dreaming about? And those are the things I'm going to speak forth. Because when I speak them forth, they can be brought into existence and things can change and things can move. It's, it's at the core. Again, like prayer at the core is humility. But Jesus walked in that profoundly, profound humility it took from Jesus to walk in that. The government of God is run that way. And I, and I want us to, to really not just hear that word government. I use that word government because uh, hopefully it would be a little bit more tangible than if I said kingdom because we don't normally talk about the kingdom of the United States or whatever. Government's a little bit more of a tangible word. It makes a little bit more sense. Just like there's a government in the United States, there's a real government in heaven. There's, a, there's an order to the, to the way things happen. But in the government of man, the strongest, the smartest, those are the ones who rule and they lord over all. In the government of God, the weakest, the lowliest, the, bro- the, the most broken, the ones who don't know as much are still have just as much authority. By the blood of Christ, it says we're seated with him in heavenly places. And understanding that we're talking to the king of kings is... I mean, it's essential to, you know, why we pray. It's understanding that there's someone who actually has all the power, and if I talk to him, things will change and things will be different. And the government of man is, is, is run on systems by, you know, the word of powerful men. A humble God rules and lets the, you know, the, the lowly in his kingdom rule. It says that we're seated uh, in heavenly places with Christ by the blood of of Jesus, that we're actually up in heaven. That's the authority. That's the realm we have when we speak. We are up ruling and reigning with Christ. And that's such a, a, a grandiose thing to us that that, that doesn't even connect. Um, but understanding the government of God, something that's going to last forever, you know, that you know, his government is not an invisible one. Um, it's, it's one that's going to reign forever. He's coming back with a real government, and the ones, you know, according to Matthew 5, the meek are the ones who are going to inherit those positions of government and authority in the earth. Those who understand how his government works. Um, moving on to Isaiah 56, 7. You don't have to turn there. You can just write it down. That's the scripture that Jesus quotes when he's in the temple, when he's cleansing the temple. The famous passage when it talks about zeal for his house has consumed me. I want to look at those words of Jesus and, and actually apply them. He quotes Isaiah 56 while he's turning over the tables and, and uh, chasing out the, uh, the money changers with a whip. He says, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. And I, I want to point out and, and I hope you can, can see this, but he did not say my house is, will be called a house of evangelism for all the nations. He didn't say my house will be called a house of missions. He didn't say my house will be called a house of healing. My house will be called a house of supernatural authority. My house will be called a house of Bible study and, and, and training. My house will be called a house of ministering to the poor. 
Now, all those things are in Scripture and important. So when I said it, and if you got offended, don't worry. Those are still important. But what Jesus says is that the foundation for the church is to be a church that is a house of prayer, that is a church that is fully reliant on God. And the foundation for ministering to the poor, the foundation for studying the Bible, the foundation for gifts and, and, and counseling and all the things the church have to do has to be through the foundation of the house of prayer. Um, I heard Mark Anderson, he's a YWAMer, so he's a missions guy, uh, one of the best preachers on missions I've ever heard. But he said, the days are coming. If it's not a house of prayer, it's not God's house. And uh, Jesus is prophesying when he says, the house, my house will be called, or my house shall be called a house of prayer. He was looking ahead to a day where the foundation of the church would not be the programs, would not be anything else, but it would be a people who primarily talk to God and ask him to do things. God has chosen the things that, that men consider weak to triumph over uh, the things that men consider wise and prudent. It's First uh, Corinthians. This is actually First Corinthians this time. Go ahead. Let's go ahead and turn there. First Corinthians one twenty seven. Because there's something fun in here. How's everyone doing? You guys hanging with me? Let's go. First Corinthians one. Uh, Let's do verse 27. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. And And the base things of the world and the things which are despised, God has chosen. And the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are that no flesh should glory in his presence. So he set up a kingdom in a way that no flesh could be glorified so that the the greatest in the kingdom was not the most charismatic, uh, funny preacher from stage. It's not the worship leader that has the highest range and has the sweetest band behind it because he wants no flesh glorifying in his presence. And one thing I did, I I wanted to hit here. I just so love this. There's a Kevin Prosh song that sings this right now, and it's just been messing me up the last two years. And uh, because it says that he will not share his glory with another. There's a Kevin Prosh song um, that that sings, uh, you know, you're jealous for your glory. You said you would not share your glory with another. And then the next line is, but we are not another. We are your beloved. And I just get so, I mean, I felt the Lord even as I said it. I love that line so much because we see that, oh, he doesn't want to share his, his glory with another. When we come into union with God, he shares his glory with us. It's not our glory. It's his glory, but he's longing to share it with us. And we, to, to think about a God who longs to share his glory with us. Now, God is fully sustained in himself. Um, he's completely satisfied in himself. He did not make man out of uh, uh, a, 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 uh, a, a uh, how do I want to say this? Because he, he did have a longing for us, but he, he didn't have a need to make us. He was fully sustained with, him, uh, with himself. He had perfect fellowship and perfect love, but he chose to share his glory 
with those who would willingly say yes. And I so love that, that uh, he's chosen the foolish things, the things that people think are stupid, the things that don't make sense, the things that get us made fun of, i.e. sitting in a room and telling God the things that he's telling us to tell him. He's chosen those things to, to, to bring to nothing the things that we think are called wise so that he could share his glory with us. It's so good. Intercession is a form of voluntary weakness, just like fasting, consecration, and giving. It's, it's, uh, we're willingly positioning ourselves to receive more of God, not because of what we've earned, but because of who he is. And that's the beauty of prayer, just like fasting. It's, a, it's voluntary weakness. We don't earn anything, but we say we have no strength. And that's, that's, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense that if I don't eat that hamburger at lunch and I take that time and I pray the Lord will do something that he didn't do if I didn't or he tenderize my heart in a unique way. Those things don't make sense, but those are the things that he's chosen to display his glory. We offer our prayers in weakness, uh, yet because of Jesus, they ascend before God in power. And that's, again, using that he seated us with heavenly places. And if we knew the power and the impact of our prayer and of our words, I think we would spend them on God more, uh, more than we do now. And uh, I, I really want to emphasize just that the intercessory prayer of actually speaking forth those prayers. Just like creation actually had to be spoken out, we actually have to speak out for those things to happen. If I can think, you know, if Austin has a broken leg, I can think, man, it'd be really sweet if Austin were healed. But for something to happen through my prayers, I actually have to go up to him, put my hand on him, and ask him for something to happen. It's just like if I'm at home and I'm just thinking about, you know, how cool my wife is, but I don't ever say it. She doesn't, she doesn't get to enjoy the benefits of what I'm saying to her. So, you know, I'm just sitting there thinking it. You actually have to speak out and, uh, and say something. It takes a, an engagement. It takes a, a willingness to step out. So go ahead and turn to Luke 18. We hit one more thing about how the, the Lord uses intercession. I'm going to hit a couple examples, and then I want to talk about just some, some personal benefits of, of intercession. This is one of my favorites, if not my favorite passage on intercession. So Luke 18, starting in verse 1, we're going to go all the way to 8. Everyone there? We be cool. Then he spoke a parable to them that men always ought to pray and not lose heart saying, there was a certain city, a judge who did not fear God nor regard man. Now there was a widow in that city, and when she came to him saying, get justice for me from my adversary, he would not for a while. But afterward he said within himself, though I do not fear God nor regard man, yet because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her, lest by her continually coming before me she weary me. 
Then the Lord said, hear what the unjust judge said. And here's the, the key next two verses. Shall God not avenge his own elect who cry out day and night, though he bears long with them? I tell you, he will avenge them speedily. And then he goes on to say something that, that might seem funny, but I, I, I want to show how it fits in the context. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? Now, I want us to replace the word faith with agreement, because faith is, we just Christianize it so many times that it completely loses its power. What he's saying, well, when the Son of Man comes, when I come back to the earth, I'm coming, he says, first off, I'm coming back, because there's going to be a bride that's praying day and night. So I'm going to come and bring justice. But when I come, will I find agreement on the earth? Now, the way he's asking the question, it's, it's kind of a tricky one because obviously he's finding agreement because he has a bride who's crying out. What he's asking is, will he find agreement with you when he comes to bring his justice? And what he's saying is, his bride is going to be unified in his purpose to bring forth justice in the earth. And if you... Uh, you know, if, if you miss that or are on that, you, you're going to come back and there's going to be a big shock to you when you come. And uh, the, the, the best phrase or sentence I've ever heard for why, you know, why, why would we want Jesus to come back to the earth? Why would we want him to bring justice to the earth? And I heard someone say once, um, you know, you might think that you're fine without Jesus returning and setting up justice on the earth, but there's a, there's a 10-year-old girl who's caught in human trafficking that needs a deliverer right now. There are people in real bondage that need a deliverer now to come. And if we are just fine with life as is, and we're just content with focusing on our own personal life, and we miss out on the Lord's heart for, for, uh, for justice, then we're not agreeing with him when, you know, with what he wants to do. Will I find agreement for justice when I come back to the earth? Will I find a bride who agrees with the way I lead and in my justice, or will I find a bride who's completely involved in herself? And intercession at its core is, is laying your life down. It's going between two parties and, and, and crying out for the Lord to do something for, for someone else who isn't yourself. And uh, this is such an important passage. It talks about day and night prayer. It talks about him coming back. But it, it talks about agreement or faith for what the Lord wants to do in our hearts. Uh, Psalm 149, you don't have to turn there. I'm going to turn there. This is another passage that talks about us um, being in unity with God, releasing his justice on the earth. Um, Talking about the bride, I'm just going to start in uh, verse 5. Let the saints be joyful in glory. Let them sing aloud on their beds. Let the high praises of God be in their mouth and a two-edged sword in their hand. To execute vengeance on the nations and to punish the peoples. To bind their kings with chains and their nobles with feathers and iron. To execute on them the written judgment. This honor have all the saints. This is such a crazy, crazy line at the end of like a seemingly intense passage, right? I mean, this is, you know, pretty, pretty heavy stuff that he's talking about. 
But he's saying this is the honor of the saints is to partner with God in bringing justice to the earth. I have seven ways, or six ways uh, on this on this paper. Sorry, that's what happens when you do letters. I'm like A through F. Is that yeah? yeah that's six. I have six ways that we partner with Jesus in intercession to release His justice on the earth. And for justice, I uh, I like to replace that again because that's the kind of word we hear a lot. For God, justice is making the wrong things right. Bringing justice is making the wrong things right. And these six things, I believe, won't be released unless people pray. Which is, that's the, that's the Luke 18 reality. It's not the church trying to make it happen. It's the church par- asking Jesus for the... Uh, for the power and the anointing. And I want to be clear on something because there's a theology I'm hearing a lot that talks about how we don't have to pray and that praise an Old Testament paradigm, which I, we'll get into that later, but I really hate that line of thinking Um, (laughs) because it's a a wrong one. Um, But prayer is under the old law and then there's grace and, and there's a movement that says we don't need to pray to ask the Lord to do stuff. We need to just go do it. And uh, again, we need to do those things, but the, the Lord has laid prayer as the foundation for that. And here's where the scary part of, of, of that is. We make the Holy Spirit an impersonable force in which we release on people without talking to God about what he really wanted to do. I'll use a really important example, Matthew 7. There's people that come to him at the judgment seat and say, Lord, Lord. Didn't we do the most awesome things for you in your name? We healed the sick. You know, we, we uh, preached the gospel with power. We uh, uh, laid our hands on the dead and they were raised. What does Jesus say? He says, he doesn't say, yeah, but you were sinning in your secret life. He doesn't say those things. He says, depart from me. I never knew you. Now, what did we go back to say at the beginning? We don't know God uh, or, or uh, let, me, let me sing the way that, that worded it. We, you know, we don't have the relationship with God uh, beyond the extent of which we talk to him. And if we look at the, the Holy Spirit as an impersonable force that we don't need to pray, we just need to release God's kingdom on the earth. Now, there are times where, you know, we do things in faith that we don't have to spend hours in intercession. And I'm not saying, you know, every little thing we have to spend two hours in intercession for. What I'm saying is a theology that tells us we don't have to primarily go to him removes a relationship with God that whole, defeats the whole, the whole point. He doesn't want you as a servant who's running around, uh, you know, just, be, just being a servant in his kingdom. He wants a friend. He wants a partner. He wants to, someone to do it with. That's why he has us pray. He has us pray because it forces us to build relationship with him. It forces us to ask him, what is on your heart and what what are you wanting to release on the earth? And so there's a real danger in a theology that removes prayer and puts works ahead of it as a way of releasing what we already know to be God's will. And a police officer has the authority as a police officer to exercise, you know, say to use his gun. 
but he doesn't use it all the time. He has to refrain and use it in the proper situations. Like that, we have the Holy Spirit, who is all power, and we ask God uh, uh, how we operate in that. We don't primarily just go out and do it. The whole point is to partner with him and build relationship. So here's, here's the, I have six ways. The first one I have is healing. And, you know, when we think justice, we, right, go, we go to the big things. But it's the little wrongs being made right. And Jesus, it never was his intention for, for the body to be riddled with sickness. And so releasing healing is releasing his justice in the earth just a little bit. It's a token of what's going to happen. I love, you know, because there's the big debate, you know, is it God's will to heal all the time? Well, we know that it's God's will to heal ultimately because everyone receives a resurrected body with no sickness, sin, or death. And so I am, whatever ailment I have, I'm going to be healed. There's an appointed date and time. But the Lord breaks in to uh, display his kingdom power and just his love for us through healing. So that's, that's one way. Second way, he brings justice. And so uh, even in that, like I want to bring in that word just with healing, with judgment, because I don't want it, that word to scare us because we, we've heard it misused so many times. Uh, healing is God's judgment against sickness. God is judging sickness as wrong in that moment when he comes in and brings healing. Revival is God's judgment against compromise. You know, we ask him to remove compromise. He comes in and he judges compromise with revival. He gives us unique grace to press in. So we partner with Jesus in healing to release his justice in the earth. We partner with him to release revival in the earth. Um, unique seasons on, on, on people where he comes in a unique way, uh, which looks like healing, loss being saved, and, and supernatural power. Revival, stirring of the spirit. See, uh, soul winning. Salvation. We partner with Jesus to release his justice in the earth via salvation. Uh, here's, here's another way we partner in intercession with him. And, I, and I'm not getting into a whole ton of practicals with intercession yet because I'm going to take a whole uh, class on this. But this, even as we pray, like, I think all of our prayers kind of fit under these categories. Uh, the fourth one is righteous legislation. Um, God gives government a sword to, to rule. And so when the government, uh, we, we pray for our, our leaders, but we pray for righteous legislation because uh, it, it shows forth the way that Jesus would lead. And so, you know, we ask for mercy. Ultimately, we want him to come back and set up his government, but we don't just sit back and wait for that. We actively uh, press in and look for his kingdom to come right now. Um, five. Releases justice in the earth by releasing unity in the church. This is a really important one. And then I have number six. We pray for holiness on the earth. Uh, righteous decisions. And these things are not in opposition uh, to loving um, the poor, the needy. It's, it's the foundation, like I said before, for us to to act in those. And going back to the Matthew 7 reality, uh, if we try to do that on our own strength, it ends up being a vain humanism where we leave Jesus out of it. Um, I had a, uh, I, I was telling, I can't remember who I was, talking, I think some of the A staff girls the other day. I went on a, a ministry trip one time, and uh, 
there was a, a, a girl I was going on the ministry trip with. She was in her 30s. She was a, a leader at IHOP. She had someone in uh, that, that she had been with for years that, that was in another church and, and uh, you know, a pretty big following and, and uh, had come with this new revelation that we need to basically dump preaching the gospel. We need to dump praying. We need to dump those things. And we just need to take all of our money and, and give our money to the poor and minister to the poor, but not minister Jesus, just basically give them money. And, and uh, it, was a, it was a really uh, perverted doctrine, and uh, it really broke her heart. Um, she had a hard time talking about it without crying. And uh, over the weekend, I'll, I'll try to tell this story shortly. Um, I was finishing up a paper. I was doing a 20-page paper in Bible school about uh, about justice and ministering to the poor, and there was a real uh, wrestle in my heart around, um, you know, I have desire for the poor to be ministered to, for justice to break forth, but I have a longing uh, to, to pray, and, and where is that balance? And, and so she spoke um, the second night at a Salvation Army, and uh, it was uh, mostly homeless people and, you know, a lot of broken people, and she preached one of the most powerful sermons I'd heard her preach, and she shared her testimony. She was very vulnerable. She had horrific things happen to her as a child. She shared vulnerably, even though people there were just kind of falling asleep. You know, some were paying attention, but most weren't. And uh, afterwards, she, uh, during ministry time, we just felt this unique, uh, unique time where the Lord was just there in just in, a, in, a, in an intense way, and she had. Uh, she was still recovering. She had Crohn's disease. She got healed from, but her body was still very weak, and she mostly slept most of that weekend. She preached sitting down, and she got up, and she started dancing and spinning around, and, and uh, it was just a crazy, awesome ministry time, a ton of life and energy on it. And so we were talking to her later, and uh, she's just one of those people that has a lot of encounters with the Lord in ways that are pretty sweet, that don't make her cooler or a better Christian, but that's just... <laughs> That's, that's how the Lord speaks to her. But basically, she's like, she was just glowing. And she's like, guys, I saw Jesus tonight. She's like, you don't understand. I didn't see a vision of him. She's like, I saw him sitting on the stage, just like I see you in front of me. And he just gave me a thumbs up. And he said, thank you. And, uh, and uh, when she said that, um, I had one verse drop into my spirit. And it was, silver and gold have I none, but what I have I give to you. Speaking of what they, uh, uh, Peter and Paul said to the beggar, um, when they, they grabbed his hand and, he, and, and they lifted him up. Um, and right then, all those questions of justice and how do we serve the poor, all those things just clicked so suddenly. I mean, there's just like 10 things that, that just clicked in a unique way. Um, I like to call it the spirit of wisdom and revelation when the Lord just opens something up and just all these things are downloading and, and uh, she's like looking ahead of me and she like turns around and like looks right at me. She's like, she's like, the Lord just dropped something in your spirit, didn't he? And I was like so creeped out because I was like, how did you know? Because she wasn't looking at me. She didn't see the, anything. And she's like, what was it? And I, and I told her the verse and she's, she just laughed. She's like, yeah, I know. She's like, I've been in that verse all day. And she like, her Bible was, like, open to it, like, at that, at that point. It was, like, so casual for her. My mind was, like, totally blown. Um, <laughs> but uh, what, what the Lord connected that day is um, love 
for the poor. Love ministering to the broken is not uh, uh, divorced from the place of prayer. That, um, that idea of the silver and gold have I none. It's, it's not just money and it's not just resources we're meant to give out. But what we have, you know, they said, what I have I give to you. What they had was the power of God. They had a vibrant spirit from a, from a relationship they had with the Lord that they touched him. And, and money would have been cool because he probably could have bought, you know, a happy meal and, you know, something afterward, probably some cigarettes. But what he really needed was he needed someone to give him something uh, that would break him out of that circumstance. And, uh, you know, the gospel and serving the poor, or, or I'm sorry, serving, serving the poor and the needy, divorced from a gospel that has power to deliver um, is, is vain humanism, ultimately. And lots of you who are stirred in your heart to serve those who are in human trafficking in other areas, that is the Lord stirring your heart. But I urge you to go deep in the place of prayer and give them something real that, that isn't just a pat on the back and a nickel to pay. Give them reality in Jesus that will break through and bring them salvation. And that brings eternal fruit. I'll leave it at that. Just want to hit some personal benefits, and then we'll, uh, we'll close in a minute. These are just some benefits on our spirit. Obviously, the ultimate benefit is partnering with Jesus and knowing him. But here's just some uh, benefits that we get in our own spirit when we, when we partner in intercession. First, are that his, his words are spirit and life. And as they go deep inside of us, through us saying uh, uh, it back to him, each time we say those things, it marks our mind and our spirit and it changes us. When we say, even though we don't always feel it, when we say the words of Jesus, when we pray those prayers in the scripture, when we say what he's telling us to tell him, those words are spirit and life. They're doing stuff. I love the, the you know, his words are living and active and sharper than a two-edged sword. Living and active means it's alive and real. It's doing stuff. And so when I say and I speak the truth, those were, it's not just a, a thing where I'm brainwashing myself. When I speak those words out, there's something happening in my mind and my heart um, where I'm being transformed. And number two, intercession humbles us as we can't claim our own glory through God's miraculous workings. By speaking God's word back to him in intercession, our hope is continually renewed in the process of waiting for the release of his promises. Guys, Lucifer knew God really well. He knew how he worked. He knew what he looked like. He knew lots about God. But the thing that made him fall was the pride that arose in his heart. And we, if we know things about God, it causes pride to come out. But when we know that we have nothing and we, we know that he's the one who's doing those things, that pride is diminished and there's a humility that comes out in our heart that protects us from pride. Number three, intercession joins us both in unity to his heart and to his church. When we pray the things that are on his heart, suddenly we care less about the stupid things that we care about and we care about the things that God cares about. And a lot of people look at prayer like God is their butler. They have their list of things that they want their butler to do. You know, they hold it out and post it on the door, you know, do my dishes, walk my dog, do my laundry. 
We think God is our butler, but when we engage in intercession, it becomes less about us and about knowing Him and His purposes being made known in the earth, and that God is my butler reality drops down. But the other thing it does is it unifies us to the church. You know, one of, the main, one, one of my favorite apostolic prayers is that uh, they with one mind and one mouth would glorify God. And that's what, when we, when we pray together, we start getting the same vision together, and suddenly our own agendas fall by the wayside, and there's a unity that's built when we pray. And there's a principle, we fall in love with that which we pray for. And uh, I, I tell you, you cannot pray for someone every day and not fall in love with them, even if you hate them right now. And uh, <laughs> I, I gave that advice to someone one time who was really struggling, uh, someone in my core group uh, back at IHOP, and he just, there was this guy who was just me streeting him and so mean. He's like, what do I do? I've tried talking to him. I said, just take 20 minutes and pray for him every day. And uh, this kid did it, and in two months, I mean, it was so funny. I mean, he was like, he loved him. He just, he was like always doing his dishes and, and carrying like his, like, laundry for him and just doing all these things for him. And he, he made the mistake of telling him, he's like, man, I used to hate you, and you were such a jerk. But then I started praying for you, and I liked you a ton. It had nothing to do with, like, this kid not being a jerk anymore, which was kind of funny. But he fell in love with him because he prayed for him. We fall in love with who we pray for if, if. If there's, uh, and who we pray with, we, we fall in love. There's just something about it. I mean, I feel that ever, don't you guys feel that after like a good noon prayer? Like you just walk out and you're like, man, I love everybody. Man, I love you. You rule. There's, this, there's just this mushiness that happens. It's because when, you know, when we're, when we're praying with one another, you know, we just fall in love with each other. And it's just a, it's a beautiful benefit of prayer. Um, Number four, I'm going to finish these up quickly. Kylie, you can go ahead and come up if you want. Um, four, intercession causes the benefits of what we pray for to return back on our lives. Really, really cool stuff. That means if you pray for something for someone, the Lord doubles that prayer back on you. And, uh, you know, the passage is Luke uh, 6.38. Luke 6.38 is, you know, give and it will be given. You know, to the measure that you do, that measure will be poured back to you. That's not just talking about money. If you serve, you know, that, that measure will be given back to you. If you pour yourself out, that measure will be poured back. If you pray, if I pray for Austin every day for the spirit of wisdom and revelation, the Lord will give it to me, not just him. He doubles it back on us. It's, it's the boomerang thing. It's pretty cool. Um, number five, intercession gives us inheritance in the people and places that we pray for. Um, this is eternal fruit. There's going to be people that are saved. There's areas that are going to receive transformation that I know I have eternal fruit for because I labored with God in prayer. And that's something that, that can't be taken away from us. And that's, it's cool to, uh, so we're going to, to uh, Tobago here in however many months. If we pray, you know, for the Lord to break in, you know, when he does break in, when we go there, we have fruit, not only because we went there, but we have fruit from our prayers that we prayed beforehand. Um, it's beautiful. And six, intercession positions us to freely receive from God rather than try to earn his power. And uh, all the spiritual disciplines of prayer, fasting, meditation on the word, they're ordained by God to posture our heart to receive, receive freely from more of him. And that's... that's uh, 
That's the beauty of prayer. But again, the primary benefit of intercession is relationship with Jesus. And he's looking for ones who he can share his heart with and partner with. And I want to ask you, if you have made yourself available to God as an intercessor, can God wake you up at 3 a.m. with something that's on his heart and you'll respond in prayer? When you see something, an injustice happening, and your heart is moved, when you see, when the Lord puts on your heart, I'll I'll use this example of the tragedy in Connecticut a few months ago. So many broken people and families. Are you one that the Lord can come to and you can can speak forth, uh, minister to Him, things things that will move His heart? Now, will you be ones who walked with him for an hour? You know, the disciples, when they were tired, they couldn't walk with him even for an hour when his heart was breaking. He's looking primarily for friends who he can share his heart with. I told the, I told the story uh, about, the, about the guy who the Lord was giving him all these prophetic words. And, and uh, you know, there was someone else there who was like, well... Obviously, the point of those prophetic words is so that I can, I can minister to them right now. And he said, no, no, no. The Lord tells me those things because his heart is grieved. And when, when we, when our hearts are moved or when we see things that aren't right, are we ones who talk to God and are we friends with one? Are the ones that he can share information with or are we ones that are just wrapped up in our own agenda? It's, it's the, you know, the Lord, the eyes of the Lord are running to and fro, looking for a, a heart that's completely his, looking for one who he can find agreement. Will he find faith? And we really have an opportunity just in how many corporate prayer meetings we have together to partner with him. And I think the Lord is in, inviting us. Um, just like we, we sang earlier, for, for the Lord to pull us in closer and take us deeper in his heart. We say we want to know his heart. That might mean groaning in intercession for those who are lost. That might mean staying up late with someone and sharing the Lord's heart. That might mean when you have a lost family member at home, late at night, tears in front of your Bible, praying for them to be saved. When we say we want to know his heart, are we willing to actually... Uh, do things that will actually matter and change things, which is the simplicity that all of us can do it. It's just a matter of will we do it or, or do we want our own agenda? Do we think that this time is about us getting strength and getting our gifts and callings and our duck in, ducks in a row? Or is this time about learning what is the Lord's heart and actually using your gifts and calling out of a place of knowing Him? relationship, loving Him. I just want to invite any of you that feel the, the, the tug of the Lord on your heart in this area of intercession and prayer, that you want to be ones uh, who the Lord can trust. You want to be ones who releases God's judgment in the earth. In just the simple ways. I'm not talking about, you know, just praying for Jesus to return or massive revival. I'm talking about praying for that lost family member that no one else is praying for, contending for the, for, for the church that's struggling in prayer, contending for your friend in DLA who's struggling in, in a 
sin area. So I just want to invite you to come forward if you feel the tug of the Lord on your heart. God, that you can start. And over time, this doesn't look as attractive as it once did because you're fixing your eyes on the things of the kingdom. I'm just talking about a thousand that have a vision for their heart. They've got passion for God. They're leading intercession on their schools. They're set apart, consecrated under God. And they've got a vision and a mission for their life.